scripture reading, we're going to look in Numbers 11, verses 16 through 35. If you want to turn with me to that. Numbers 11, verses 16 through 35. This picks up after the people had complained about their situation. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for, gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two, two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I am number six hundred thousand on foot, six hundred thousand foot, and you have said, I will give them meat, and they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them, and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them, and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered seventy men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out, of the, out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and, the, and the, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore the name of that place was called Kibrith Hatava, because there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibrith Hatava, the people journeyed to Hazareth, and there they remained at Hazareth.
Our text this morning is Philippians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 12 to chapter 4, verse 1. In our series on the seven deadly sins, uh, we uh, look now at the sin of gluttony. And I had to reflect uh, myself, I, I don't believe I have ever heard a sermon on the sin of gluttony. Um, I'm sure I've heard illustrations and things surrounding it, but never specifically dedicated to it. And we often um, think of gluttony as merely an issue of food. But if we reflect on the story that was just read for us, I think we can clearly say that the children of Israel were being gluttonous. They had the very presence of God with them. And they said, we want meat. At its core level, gluttony, in any form, is the preference of my own desires, my own needs, my own wishes, over God. And it is God's good gifts spent on me. I believe we'll find in this text here that that gluttony is the misuse of God's good gifts that denies our heavenly citizenship and anchor us firmly as citizens of the earth. In contrast, Scripture promotes self-control as the means of controlling the dominating desires of our body and fitting us to be mature members of God's kingdom. Again, our text is Philippians chapter 3, and I'll read uh, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, Join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things." But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved."
As we've considered these seven deadly sins, we've, we've tried to entertain the idea that sin is a corruption of that which is good. So sin is not a category of actions to itself, but sin is good turned bad. And so sin is always a parasite on what is good. And here we see in gluttony a, a particular parasite. And our, our text describes gluttony as this, their God is their belly. In other words, their, their, their transcendent reality or their transcendent truth, the thing that they follow, the thing that they find most meaning in, is their belly. In other words, their desires, what they long for, what they wish for, what they think will satisfy. In other words, their God is their desires. And I think we, we have to um, first say that, that gluttony is not merely food. Uh, we often assign it to food, um, but quite often when Scripture uses the term the glutton, it's, it's a person who heaps upon themselves uh, things of pleasure, things of personal desire. And so it includes food, but it's not, it's not merely just food. And this is not simply a warning about obesity or overeating. Um, each of those have their, their specific reasons. And the reality is you find a person with an extremely efficient metabolism and they can eat significantly more than a person with an inefficient one and you're going to see a difference in body structure. And so it's not merely uh, just because someone struggles with their weight that they're a glutton, if you want to say. On the other hand, we shouldn't dismiss the warning. This warning against gluttony is, is a warning against any desire that gets out of balance and begins to dominate our life. Again, we see in, in 1 Corinthians 6, I'm not going to let anything dominate me. I'm going to keep my body under control so that nothing dominates me. As we looked at anger, we, we said that Anger was, was an expression of, I'm against that. And anger tells us where those things are. Um, gluttony, I think, is simply the expression of, I want that. I like that. But it's taken to an extreme where it, it governs um, our body. It governs our reality. Now, it's not merely about food, but I think it does, it, it does interact with food. And so, what about food and gluttony? Well, I think there's a couple things we have to recognize. First is, food is a primary way in which humans celebrate. And so, you just heard, we're going to celebrate that Jerry and Shirley have spent many years laboring faithfully among us, and what are we going to do? We're going to bring some food, and we're going to feast. And uh, we elders and deacons are retreating. And what are we going to do on Monday night? We're going to cook some food. And I promise you, it's probably going to be pretty good. What do we do for a birthday party? We cake and ice cream. Look at Scripture. What does God do to celebrate certain things? Well, there's the feast of this, and there's the feast of that. And, and I don't think it was rice and beans. Although, if you ask one of my sons, rice and beans is actually quite the feast. Um, 
the reality is, 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 is the joy of food, the enjoyment of food, is not the gluttony. It's a good gift from God, and it's given to us for our joy and for our enjoyment. And so this restriction against gluttony is not a, a blanket restriction against food or against things that are nice, things that make us happy, things that bring joy. All of those things are the good blessing of God to us. But the warning against gluttony is to ask us, what is my attachment to it? And so, what is our attachment to food? Do we find ourselves dominated by food in any way? And if so, it's a warning that we may be leaving our first love, which should be Christ. And so, particularly with food, um, that, that domination could be overeating. It could be finding comfort and those things in food. And that overeating can result in, in physical challenges and things that limit our availability to the kingdom of God. It could be gourmandizing. That might be a new word, but it basically means I have to have gourmet food. I have to have special food. I have to have particular food. Um, I've heard of celebrities and actors who have riders on their contracts. So when they sign a contract to work for you, you will provide for them certain food items um, within their trailer or whatever it is on site. And so while we may not be governed by overeating, we may be governed by gourmandizing that I've got to have particular food. It also means that we could be overly particular about what exact foods enter our body. So we can be really, really careful. I'm not going to eat this kind of food or that kind of food and have a really particular management of food. It could also be asceticism where I'm going to deny any kind of particular joy. But Anytime we allow a fixation upon food, I think could be seen as, as gluttonous. Because ultimately what we're saying is that there is a specific center of meaning here that, that I have to be fulfilled in. And so whether that's the maintenance of a particular body image, a, a pursuit of healthfulness that, um, that is constantly saying that I can't get sick, I have to live forever, I can't suffer. All these things reduce our world to the physical. I think there's other things that we can become gluttonous about, and, and they can be anything that appeals to the desires of our flesh. We can be gluttonous about recreation. I have to have certain things. I, I have to be fulfilled in these certain ways. We can be gluttonous about hobby, things that bring joy to our lives, and we can sacrifice other good things. We can sacrifice the kingdom of God. And I think we each have those areas that we have to fight against those gluttonous desires. It could be as simple as our personal preferences. Do I have to have my way? Do I have to let that 
that preference dominate me? And so the, the primary problem is that their God is their belly. Their desires control them. And, the, and Paul is saying that when this occurs, these people actually leave the kingdom of God. He speaks of, the, of these people with tears that they've, that they've left, that they've given up the glory of Christ for the glory of their desires. Within that, they, there's also a glorying in the shame that comes with that. And I think we see that in the promotion uh, of these things. It, it always seems that someone who's given over to desire has to be a salesman for it. Uh, let me get some more people to join me so it, it becomes um, e- even more to be desired. And so they promote it. They worship it. When, when you look at the the liturgies that surround you know, extreme attachment to sports, to hobby, and all those things, it looks very much like church. Okay? It has its particular things that happen all the time. Um, and so they worship. And the scripture here says that they're glorying in their shame. They're glorying in something that is ultimately going to bring about their destruction. They glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. And we'll look further at that here as we continue. What are the results of the problem? What's the warning? The warning is that they walk as enemies of God. The preference for desires and ulti- is ultimately a preference for self-rule and self-pleasure. And those two things, in the end, displace God from our life. If we must have self-rule and we must have self-pleasure, we will displace God from our lives. That statement, they walk as enemies of God, should be a sober warning to us. This is not a light matter. This is not something that's merely a little bit of food and a little bit of fun. The governance of our desires... The subduing of our flesh is a life and death matter. So what does the text of Scripture offer as a solution? And I believe we see uh, three particular things. In verse 20, we're to recognize that our citizenship is in heaven and that we await a Savior. As Christians, we follow a different leader. Again, the leader of the modern world is not the President of the United States or all of those things. The leader of the modern world is me. Right? That's what's, that's what's offered. Follow, follow your desires. Be who you want to be. Do what you want to do. Nobody can tell you whether your desires are right or wrong. But as Christians, we're called to be citizens of another kingdom. Our citizenship is somewhere else. We're beholden to another Lord, another master, another president, if you say. Now, as an American citizen, there's a unique reality that we see in the world. And that is, if you are an American citizen, 
you can be in almost any country, and if somebody takes advantage of you, you have an appeal, and quite often the American government will come for you. Uh, we've seen this even for pastors, people who have gone into a, to a country as a missionary. Um, they've been the American government has litigated, has in some cases rescued them by force because their citizenship was in another country. And that country came to rescue them. In the same way, our citizenship is in, in heaven. Now, if that pastor, when he was captured, would simply go, okay, I'm with you. Um, what's, what's your particular religion? Okay, that one's mine too. What would we think about his affinity to his country, to his God? In the same way for an American citizen, what if under attack he would just simply go to the other side and say, well, I guess I'm one of you now. That's the reality we live in. We are members of another kingdom. And just because our desires are always asking us to stay here in this kingdom, doesn't mean we don't work against them and push that against them and continue to declare our citizenship is in heaven. And so an overuse and a trust in the things of the earth denies our heavenly citizenship. And an overuse of God's good gifts denies our reliance upon Christ as our Savior. What we're saying in gluttony is, I, I have all I need. If I want more, I can work harder and get it. I'm going to find meaning in these things. And I wonder if it's, it's probably not even a greater problem for us um, in the West where we can get by working harder. We can pursue wealth and, and generally gain it. And even within that reality, um, within American society, there is very little suffering, if you want to say, this sort of physical suffering. There's so many backstops for, for people who can't find kind of daily sustenance. And so we'll, never, we'll almost never find ourselves in a place where there's no food and there's no way to get it, unless something pretty drastic happens. So we're not really aware uh, of, of our reliance on those things. And again, I have all I need, and if I want more, I can probably work harder and get it. Within this reality, we're not aware of our desperate need of a Savior. Sometimes we can ignore that reality that we desperately need our, our heavenly country to continue to send Christ into our lives and to call us back to following him. An overuse of God's gift states a, pres a, a, a preference for my current physical body versus the glorious body we will receive from Christ. You notice that, that phrase there. That... Um, our citizenship is in heaven, and Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. We see a lot of, of uh, effort being placed into the body. 
um, you got a gym membership, you've got all these things. We can pursue the development of our earthly body. And again, that's not necessarily bad. I think it's right for us to take care of our bodies. It's right for us to exercise. But again, if we allow that reality to to dominate us, what we're saying is that I prefer this body here and I prefer the pleasures it can give me versus the heavenly body, the glorious body that we will receive from Christ. And Scripture gives us some fairly specific ways to accomplish this separation. To to accomplish a, a control over our body and to accomplish placing ourselves in our heavenly citizenship. And one of the first that we see in Scripture is fasting, where we take specific time and we say, I'm going to restrict the earthly pleasures. I'm going to, and I'm going to do this to say to my body, this is not what's ultimate. And when the desires of the body come into that time of fasting, we're reminding our body that there is an ultimate nourishment that is greater than a physical nourishment. We also have uh, many instructions in Scripture to bring our body into submission. We're to be the master of our body. Not our bodies be the master of us. And that applies not only to food and those sorts of things, but also to sexuality and other manners of of physical life. Thirdly, we see in Romans 13, rather clothe yourself with Christ Jesus. So it's not a matter of just restricting the body and fasting and making a reminder. It's not a matter of just beating your body into submission. But it's also a matter of closing yourself with Christ. If we, if we do all those other things, but yet we starve our body, our spirit, of, of the actual nourishment that is found in, in communion with Christ, then I think we set ourselves up to continue to fail to control our bodies. If we're not nourishing our bodies with Christ, we will nourish them with other things. I think to close in in the final instructions here, the text gives us specific instructions for how this is going to happen. If you look at verse 12, Paul says, not that I have already obtained. In verse 13, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So Paul is simply recognizing that, that this is a process. You're going to walk out from here and go, you know, that's my problem. I'm going to change tomorrow. And it's going to be fixed and solved. But it's a lifetime process of denying, denying our body being dominated by our desires. And so he He pursues this, recognizing that it's a process and it's something that's going to take time. But secondly, he says, but I press on to make it my own. I realize I'm not entirely there, but I'm chasing it. In verse 13, forgetting the past, I strain towards the goal. It's not a matter of of achieving perfectly this suppression of desire. 
but it's being pursuing um, doggedly, daily, regularly discipline, straining towards the goal of making our heavenly citizenship very present in our lives. I think the ultimate engine for this we see also in verses 12, 13, and 14. We must recognize that while there is joy in these physical things, and there's real joy in them, joy that we can receive from Christ, we must recognize that there is a a greater joy than getting what we like or getting what we desire. The greater joy we see in verse 12. So he says, I've not obtained this. I'm not already perfect. I'm pressing towards it because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Is, Is that a joy that's present in your life in a daily way? That Jesus, the creator of the world, made you his own. That the focus of his efforts in coming to earth, in dying, in being resurrected, in existing now in the Holy Spirit within us, he's made you his own. That's a greater joy than any plate of food. But do we realize that? Do we live there? In verse 13, he's going to strain forward to what lies ahead. He realizes that there's something out there that's more valuable than what is right here. There's a glorification that's going to come that will satisfy in ways nothing the earthly desires can satisfy. There's something beyond that's greater. And thirdly, we see in verse 14, he's pressing toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's greater joy when when we recognize that if we live out of the character of Christ, not merely as slaves to our desires, there's greater joy in that upward call. This morning I asked you to consider in your life, are there desires, are there appetites, are there things that dominate you? The things that, that speak to a different constitution, the constitution of the ownership of God, not the constitution of following after him, but the constitution of wanting my own, of demanding my rights. I'd ask you to consider that and, and consider, are there maybe some, some things you have to do to push back against those desires? Again, Scripture would, would teach us that our pushback against those need to be aggressive. But let's not merely push back. Let's also clothe ourselves with the glory of God. Commit ourselves to Scripture, to prayer, 
to community, to bring about the nature of Christ, to, to bloom and grow in our lives. The fight for against gluttony is, in, in fact, a fight for our allegiance. Is our allegiance first to the God who gives, or is allegiance first to the, the me who enjoys? I pray that God would uh, help us to lay aside those things that dominate us and to pursue again to be citizens of his heavenly kingdom. Let's pray. Father, this morning we recognize that uh, we each have our unique ways of of pursuing and, and satisfying, attempting to satisfy our desires. I pray that you would uh, help us to see those areas in which we've uh, declared our citizenship to be of the earth, declared our Lord to be ourself and our belly. Would you again show us an image of the, of the glory of the kingdom of God? of the glory of our King Jesus. And may the presence of that glory call us to, to leave behind these things that hold us back and, and weigh us down. And may we strive, strive to clothe ourselves with Christ, strive to find uh, joy in Him, Father, would you do this in each of us? For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's have a song.